This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you would like more information about Christian Chapel, please visit christianchapel.com. I love that carol. It doesn't really have the, the exuberance of, you know, Joy to the World or some of those other kind of big Christmas songs or kind of the sweet nature of Away in a Manger, but I think it really, uh, it really captures our experience at Advent of we're looking back and we're remembering the arrival of Christ as kind of our Savior, Redeemer, our Deliverer, our Comforter, and yet we still live in this kind of land in between where we still need him. Even though he has come, we still need him to come again and kind of drive away those, you know, the, the things that talked about, the freest from Satan's tyranny, to drive away the clouds of, of doom and death and all of these things. And it, it highlights a tension that, that all Christians feel. You know, the scriptures clearly teach us Jesus arrived. That's what we're celebrating at Advent. Christ has come. They also teach us that Christ will come, that he'll come again to restore all things. You know, it's the, the second Advent, his return, when he makes all things new. And yet we live in this land in between. And so the way theologians have described that experience is that we live in the, the already but not yet nature of God's kingdom. It's already arrived because Christ has come and God has established this new way of life, but it's not yet fully realized because he hasn't returned to restore all things. And so what we're going to do today is just kind of explore how those two anchors, Christ has come and Christ will come, carry us through and, and enable Jesus to change everything through some of life's worst moments for us. And so as I've been thinking about that and, and praying about, you know, how exactly to, to teach that idea, um, the scripture that kept coming to mind was actually from Revelation, which is not a, um, a typical Advent book that you go to, you know, and, and I know even some of you, depending on the way you grew up in church, whenever you hear a, a pastor say, turn to Revelation, you sit up a little straighter, right? Because that's where if there's going to be crazy, it's going to come when the pastor says, let's go to Revelation, you know, or some of us like there were for me and my family, there were a lot of words we were not allowed to say in our home, you know, uh, my mom just had a, a long list, and, and I think the older we got, the more she added to it of just taking those away from us. And, and so I always loved Revelation as a kid because uh, it talked about the whore of Babylon. And she'd be like, sorry, mom, it's in the Bible. You know, it's why I really love the King James in general, because there were just, you know, there's, if you've read through the King James, even there's some of these Christmas songs we sing, and it's like, oh, you said I can't say it, but we sing it in church, uh, you know, and, and my use might not have been the same um, as, as the King James was. But anyway, so there's those ideas. There's, remember as a teenager, like, you know, anytime the pastor talked about in his sermon a, a baby-eating dragon or a uh, kind of sword-wielding, tattooed Jesus coming back on a, like, those are attention getters, right? Those are sit up and pay attention, but that's not really the route we're going to take today when we get in Revelation, we're going to take more of kind of the overarching 30,000 foot view of it. And what I really want to look at is how the, the opening chapter of Revelation and the two closing chapters of Revelation, they provide two anchoring points for our faith and for our life. And they give us confidence that all of the stuff in between is going to be okay. Because Christ has come and because Christ will come, we believe that he is coming in all of this kind of trial and tribulation in the middle. And so the book of Revelation starts in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. 
it says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And if you skip down to verse 17 in Revelation 1, Jesus is speaking and he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and hell. And so from the very beginning of the book of Revelation, it's made clear to us, this is the story of Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to lose sight of that, you know, because you jump into it and suddenly there are insects that are stinging people and there's bowls of wrath being poured out and there's horsemen being sent loose from heaven and all this kind of stuff. And, and we can get so lost in kind of the, the language and the imagery and the uncertainty that we forget. From the very beginning, John makes clear to us, this is the revelation from Christ. Other translations read, this is the revelation of Christ, that the whole thing is intended to point us to Jesus. And down in verse 17, it clarifies how it's pointing us to Jesus. It's pointing us to him as the first and the last, the one who was before and the one who will be after, that after all of this comes to nothing, Christ will still be. And he'll still be in charge, and he's returning as the final victor. You know, it paints this picture of he holds the keys of death and hell. And so he's, he's in control of all. And, and at Advent, I think it's important for us to remember, because it's really, Revelation helps us understand, it wasn't just sweet baby Jesus who came. But he comes as a sign of God driving a stake in the course of human history to say, from this day on, everything is different. From this day on, my kingdom is made personal and my kingdom is made visible when God puts on flesh and makes his dwelling among us. And so some of you are like me, you're a little more visual. So um, we'll just go ahead and plant those here. And I want you to think of that just as the first advent, okay? Christ has come. Here he is. We know what it means. He comes as Savior. He comes as Lord. And especially in the, in the angel's announcement to Joseph, he tells him, you will name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the first advent is all about Jesus coming as Savior and all about him coming as God with us. It's about him changing everything. And then if you skip to the very end of Revelation, it kind of gives us this second anchor. This is a little, a little lengthier passage, so just be patient with me as we read through it. But in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. 
this is the second death. You know, now again, I don't, I don't know where you grew up. I don't know if that's the first time you've ever heard that. But as a, a kid and as a teenager especially, I heard that as a terrifying passage. The reason I heard it that way, I think, is because I always focused on the last verse. These are all the people who are going to be thrown away, cast into the fiery lake of sulfur. And maybe it's because sometimes uh, that was used by some adults to correct some of my uh, more undesirable behavior, you know? And, and I don't know if you ever heard this idea of, uh, you know, well, what if Jesus returns while you're doing that? Where do you think you'll go? And for me, the answer was typically hell, hell, definitely hell. Uh, I, I'm, I'm beating on my sister. Yep. Uh, I'm lying. Yeah, it says it right there. Liars. Um, the magic arts. Don't know what that is, but I probably did it. Uh, you know, just, just this whole thing of like, it was a very, the return of Christ was a fearful thing. But I think what we have to understand is it's not supposed to be that at all. It's supposed to be the, this anchor of hope for the future. What John is describing is this really beautiful picture of God returning and making everything as it's supposed to be. The idea of no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no more hurting, no more disruption between God and humanity, no more disruption between us and each other, no more disruption between humanity and the rest of creation. Just this beautiful picture of everything is now restored, a new heavens, a new earth. Everything is perfect, and not just perfect because God made it that way, but perfect because God is right down in the middle of it. In a, in a personal, in a face-to-face kind of way. I mean, that's what he says. I will be their God, and they will be my people. You know, the, the second advent is supposed to be a tremendously hopeful experience to us. It's supposed to be something that inspires us to look forward with anticipation to the day of, cross, of Christ's return, not to look forward in fear of like, oh, no, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. You know, the, the promise of Christ for all of us is, look, I have come. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. But the celebration of Advent is always incomplete if all we do is look backwards. The celebration of Advent is a celebration of Christ has come, and it makes a difference for all of us, but it's also an anticipation of, and one day he will come, and he will finish what he started. And the, the already Nature of his kingdom will be made complete in us. It will be made complete in all of creation. And life will be as it's supposed to be. But again, for for many of us, and now if I'm a visual person, if you're not a visual person, then you can sit there and just be happy that you are so much smarter than the rest of us. And, uh, you know, I mean, you probably already do that most Sundays anyways. But uh, so we, we have these two anchors, right? These two anchors of Christian faith that Christ has come and that Christ will come. And then we live in this land in between, in between his arrival, in between his coming, not knowing exactly when he'll show up, what it'll look like, what it'll be like. We're just, we're in here. And for all of church history, from the day of Christ's ascension until the day he returns, all of humanity will find their life living within this tension. You know, and and so we don't know how far along that continuum we are, we don't know if the, you know, the past 2,000 years, maybe we're still just barely getting started. 
Maybe most throughout church history, we've always believed we're actually right here. You know, we're, we're the ones who are actually going to see it. And we look at the world around us and we feel like, man, the signs of the times are all there. We must be the generation who will see it. But the, the point isn't to determine when it happens. The point and the thing we have to talk about today is how do we live here? How does the fact of Christ has come and Christ will come change the way we experience this land in between? Where we live with the promise of his presence, we live with the experience of his spirit, we, we undoubtedly know Christ is real. And we experience his power and his comfort and his forgiveness and all of these other things. And yet we still struggle through this season. And we still look forward to that day of one day it's all going to be fine. I mean, it's, it should be the hope. All of us have that. You've got stuff in your life right now that you wish, I just wish it would be, I wish it would go away. I wish that anxiety would be gone. I wish that source of stress would be different. I wish that difficulty would be solved. And that's really the promise of the second coming. You know, sometimes I think the, the problem we have as Christians is we confuse the promise of the first advent with the promise of the second advent. The promise of the first advent is God with us, Emmanuel, through everything, through all of the ups and downs, through all of the success and all the disappointment, it's God with us. The promise of the second advent is God makes everything perfect. It's all gone, it's all solved, there's no more problems, there's no more issues. But for us at times, we forget the promise is just God's gonna be with us through the junk. And we get mad because we're still experiencing the junk. But you know, I mean, I know, we all know, sometimes this land in between, it's just really difficult. It just doesn't work how we thought it was gonna work. And and so what we wanna think about today is if Jesus did come there, and he's going to come here, how does his presence now make a difference for me? And especially, how does his presence make a difference in life's most difficult hours? And that's what you start to see as you read through those those in-between chapters of Revelation. It's a story of trials and tribulation. It's a story of judgment and suffering. It's a story of some being faithful and many being unfaithful. But through it all, it's the story of Christ is there in all of it. It's a story of our life. It's a story of all of the other scriptures that Jesus changes everything, even our very, very worst moments, because he's with us. One of the things we've been doing during Advent this year is not just exploring the stories of scripture, but exploring how these truths play out in our lives. And so one of our college students, Nick Stoffel, came up a few weeks ago and told part of his story of Jesus changing his experience of a really difficult season. And so if you'll turn your attention with me to the screen, we'll watch that together. My name is Nikolai Stoffel. The hospital is a familiar place for me. When I was just six weeks old, my father received a heart transplant. My whole life, I've been raised around the church. I grew up hearing my parents share their testimony, a story of God's constant faithfulness and provision in their lives. As I said before, the hospital is a familiar place for me. My mother had heart surgery. My brother was diagnosed with diabetes. I was used to hearing problems. And my father was diagnosed with cancer a second time. I remember watching him go through chemo treatments, which caused him to lose his hair and become weak. In the midst of such a dark time, I remember my dad being the brightest person I knew. He was always filled with joy, and I know that joy was the joy of the Lord. 
Yet still, I knew he faced a challenging road ahead. I remember getting the call to rush to pick up my younger brother and go to the hospital. When I arrived, I ran to my mom and I could tell it was bad. Minutes later, I could see the doctors operating on my dad. He was in bad shape and wasn't able to breathe. He was put into an induced coma and didn't wake from that for eight days. He was in the hospital for a total of 35 days. My amazing father was with us for another year, only to get sick again. He was a fighter, a brave, incredible man. Anyone that could meet him could see that in him. Yet it was in these difficult moments that I was filled with love, with joy, and with peace. It was all because of Jesus. It was Jesus that helped my family. It was Jesus that helped my amazing father. It was Jesus who brought my father joy through suffering. It was Jesus who changed my experience of mourning by bringing me joy in the midst of uncertainty and sorrow. Jesus changed everything. Many of you know the Stoffel family. If you don't, you should say hi to them. They're all right there in a row together. Uh, Sarah and Cress and Nick and Asher. And one of the things I, I love, I think, most about Nick's story is that idea of I heard my parents talk often about God's faithfulness in their life. You know, and, and that story, if you have time to hear more of it from them, I think, Sarah, what was, Nick, you were, were you six weeks old when your dad had the heart transplant? Yeah, so his dad was 20, 28 years old, late 20s, had a heart transplant, um, had battled cancer as a child. Mom had had heart surgery. They'd been through all these. And so Nick grew up with stories knowing the land in between is tough. You know, it's not certain. In fact, the only certain thing really in that land in between is your faith is going to be tested and Jesus is going to be faithful. Beyond that, we really don't know. And so he grew up in this home where he was surrounded, and, and these anchors had been driven deep in his heart that because Christ has come and because Christ will come, it's going to make a difference in all of life. And when his dad passed away right before his senior year of high school, that's what held. It didn't make the, the grief less. It didn't make the loss any less significant, but it made the power of Christ real in a personal way. It wasn't just stories Nick had heard from his mom and dad, but this was now becoming his experience. This is our prayer. It's one of the reasons at Christian Chapel that ministry to the youngest among us has always been a core value and will always be a core value. Because the older you get, the more certain you are of three things. Christ has come, Christ will come, and sometimes it sucks in the middle. Right? Yeah, I mean, you just, you might phrase it differently, but you know that's true. And because we know that's true, we understand, like I understand as a, a dad, one of the greatest gifts I can give my kid is to drive these anchors as deep as I can in their life. Christ has come, Christ will come. That's why we do baby dedications like we did this morning. This actually is a, a picture that Sarah sent me this week of Nick's baby dedication here at Christian Chapel. Um, so about 
tw- little over 20 years ago. On the, the left there, there's Chuck and Sarah, and I believe that's Chuck's parents. Is that correct? And then on the right is one of our former pastors, Greg Cox. That's Nick there in his arms. And that moment, you know, that we just saw here with Chris and Catherine, that we saw last week with Jake and Diana, like, it's, it can be easy to see that as like, well, that's a cute little thing that churches do. But it's really a very significant thing that we do. And, and if you haven't dedicated your kids, I'd encourage you to do so because it's a, a way for you to make the commitment that we are going to raise this child to the best of our ability to know Jesus and to follow him. We're going to surround them with truth. We're going to plant them in a community. And the, the reason that is so important is because we know life is uncertain. You know, when, when Chuck and Sarah stood there, stood right here on that Sunday, they had no idea what the story would be in 20 years. And while we would never wish their story on anyone, and we actively pray that it doesn't happen, we know the, the promise of scriptures that in this world, we will have trouble. And many of you, I know you've, you've dedicated your own children not knowing the obstacles that were coming, not knowing the things that were going to happen. And our hope in those seasons is that we drive those anchors deep enough that Jesus comes to them again and he makes a difference in the land in between for them. You know, this is why we, we put such an emphasis on ministry to babies and children and teenagers so that we can, can say before God, we have done all that we can to drive these anchors deep to establish a firm foundation for the youngest generation among us. You know, it's why we're doing this nursery remodel, not just because we think the building needs to look better, but because we really do think one of the key things that we can do in that is from a child's earliest memories, surround them with the idea that God knows them, God loves them, and God has a plan for them. And so when you take, I mean, maybe you've never been back in the nursery, you've seen what they do back there, but it's not just babysitting. They're back there and they're telling them Bible stories and they're singing Bible songs with them. And those staff members, they're praying for the babies while they're in there and after. And it's, it's really a, a wonderful program. It's a great staff that we have back there giving their times. It's why Pastor Amy and so many people invest so much in our kids because we want to help them establish a foundation of faith. We want to drive these anchors deep of Christ has come, Christ will come, and in the middle, he's going to be there for you in every season of life. You know, it's, it's always so encouraging for me to see when others grasp that vision and, and participate in it. And you see it in so many ways. You see it in Royal Family Kids Camp, and you see it in our Sunday morning and Wednesday night programs. But this past week, especially, there was a, a, a person from our church who just stopped by the office and um, they have no children at Christian Chapel, no grandchildren at Christian Chapel, probably aren't ever going to personally benefit in any way from what we're doing back there in the nursery. But they dropped off a, a really significant gift for that project, and, and the thought was just, you know, God's been faithful to me, and I want to give the generation coming after me the chance to experience his faithfulness too. And so just even those little building projects are ways that we can create an environment where people are able to hear Christ has come, Christ will come, and that makes all the difference for us here in the middle. You know, the, the second coming of Christ must continue to be a, just a, a wonderful source of hope and inspiration to us. 
We know the land in between can be difficult, but the truth of the scripture is if Jesus came here and he started his new kingdom, then I'm living in it no matter where I am. You know, and, and you might feel like, no, my, my struggle is different. My story is unique. Nobody is hurt like I hurt. Nobody's been abused like I've been abused. Nobody has suffered like I've suffered. But really, the, the testimony of the scriptures and of church history is you're not the first and you're not the last. It's going to happen. This is the reality of surrendering to Jesus, yet continuing to live in a world that's been tainted by sin with a heart that, is, that leans towards sin, that we are in so many ways, again and again and again, we're going to suffer, we're going to fall short, we're going to know pain, we're going to know disappointment, sometimes from our own behavior, sometimes from the behaviors of others, and sometimes just because we live in a world that's been corrupted in so many ways. So our suffering is not unique. Our story might be different, but the underlying struggle is the same. We all live in this already, but not yet, nature of God's kingdom. And so our prayer then is not, God, why are you doing this to me? Our prayer is not, God, why have you abandoned me? But our prayer is, thank you that you came, that you're making a difference, that you're here with me now, and thank you that one day it will all be made new. Thank you that one day you will come and wipe every tear from every eye. Thank you that one day all things will be restored to perfection. When John ends the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, or sorry, chapter 22, verse 20, he's quoting Jesus here and he says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And I think John's response is a response that all of us should have in every season of life. And his response is, amen, come Lord Jesus. What do you say to a 17-year-old boy who's lost his dad right before his senior year of high school? Come Lord Jesus. Like come in this moment right now and make a difference. What do you say to a mom who's just found out that that her husband's walking out? Come, Lord Jesus. What do you say to parents when they're just, they're struggling with, life isn't what they thought it would be? You say, come, Lord Jesus. What do you say in your own life when it's just, it's hurting and it's dark and it's depressing? You say, come, Lord Jesus. And not just a generic come someday in the future, but come right now. Drive away these gloomy clouds. Free me from the tyranny of evil. And the promise of the first advent is he's going to do that because he's already done it. He has come for you. The promise of the second advent is one day he will come perfectly and finally for you. And the promise in between is that every time we pray that prayer, come Lord Jesus, he will do it. By the power of his spirit in every season, in every struggle, all of the time, we will experience his peace, we'll experience his presence, we'll experience his nearness. Lauren, if you guys want to come back, they're going to lead us in a, uh, just a very simple Christmas song. Come thou long expected Jesus. And it it really, at its core, it's just a cry of exactly revelation places before us of, Jesus, we believe you've come. 
We believe you will come. And in the meantime, we're just praying, come again to us. Like, come in the difficulty. Come in the struggle. But if you'll stand with me, I want to pray with us before they lead us in that. Maybe you're here this morning and, and the land in between for you is especially rough. And maybe you didn't have the, the benefit that Nick had of, of a mom and dad who loved Jesus and, and established this foundation of faith. Maybe they never talked to you. Maybe they were the source of your, your struggle. But even if this is the very first time you've heard any of that, the message remains true for all of us today that in our suffering, he has come for us. He is coming for us, and he will come for us. And so as we sing this in just a moment together, I want to encourage you just to sing it as the, the cry of your heart. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Bring your deliverance to me. First, I want, to, I want to pray with you. God, we come to you this morning. You see our hearts. You see our struggles. You see... Just especially, Lord, for those of us that, that Christmas is just, it's just going to be kind of miserable this year. And Lord, I pray for those especially who are hurting, who are struggling, who are doubting. I pray that your spirit would come to them this morning, that they would find you to be enough in this season. They would find you to be Emmanuel. God with them. Pray for those who are hurting because they've been left or abandoned. May they find your peace. Pray for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one. May they know your comfort. I pray for those who just aren't sure this is really good news for them, that this year they would know you as their Savior. Lord, we join our hearts together. Just say, come, Lord Jesus. Come in all your power. Come in all your might. Come in all your mercy. And bring healing and hope and salvation to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this together.
John concludes his letter of revelation with the statement, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. I think it's a, a fitting conclusion because he's just written to them about what will be, and they would have had so many questions. And his answer to them was not, and here's the key to understanding it all. His answer was, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May God's grace expressed in Jesus Christ be with all of his people. And that's our hope as we walk into Christmas. That's our prayer for you, that as you go, you'll experience his grace, you'll experience his peace, you will experience his presence. If you'd like someone to pray with you about a specific need in your life on your way out today, please uh, just swing by the prayer room. It's out the doors and to your left. Pastor Greg and Pastor Rennie, some of our other volunteers will be available to meet with you and pray with you. The rest of us, may we go confident that Christ has come, Christ will come, and he is coming in every moment. May we look for opportunities to share that good news with others. We hope to see you on our Christmas Eve services. On your way out this morning, if you'd like to take advantage of a Christmas picture, Melinda Hundley is set up in the back to provide those for you. Thanks for worshiping with us. We'll see you on Christmas Eve. Thank you for listening. If content from this podcast was meaningful to you, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at christianchapel.com.